Howdy, Tom Zillions, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave at EscapingTheCave.com. Fuck Twitter, no Facebook page. I'm your friendly host, Todd. I think this is episode number 68. Is that right? Ooh, the magical episode is one away. <laughs> Hope you're having a good week. It is uh, <laughs> Thursday, March the 5th, 2020. What a hell of a week we've had, huh? I haven't done a political episode in a long time. I know I said I was going to wait till Sunday on this. Oh, no. There's no way in hell I'm waiting till Sunday. We're going to do this today. So if you don't like the ranting, if you haven't sent through my political stuff, maybe you're new. Maybe you haven't heard a lot of my political musings. <laughs> Enjoy. I want to remind you to uh, check your subscription feeds. If you're subscribed to a Christopher Media feed, please go and uh, rectify that. Make sure you're subscribed to an Escaping the Cave feed, an authentic one, a real one. One coming from me. It has a picture of the cave. Black and white picture. It says Escaping the Cave on it. Uh, please check that and uh, make sure you are subscribed to me. Pretty please. And uh, also I want to remind you to, uh, you know, like, subscribe, share, do all that good stuff. I don't do any marketing. I don't spread this thing beyond dropping it into my personal, <laughs> closely trimmed Facebook profile page. And occasionally here and there, maybe a couple of groups. But other than that, I don't do any kind of marketing. You're not going to hear any advertising on here and you're not going to find any ads, uh, you know, popping up in your Facebook feeds or anything like that. I don't do any kind of marketing. I will post this on my nearly barren Twitter account. In fact, it's the only reason that I have a Twitter account. I'll post it up there once or twice. That's all I do. So if you think this podcast has value, if you like it, if you know of somebody else who might like it, share it. Simple as that, man. That's how this thing's going to grow other than people just sort of stumbling into it via you know, Google. So, yes, please do that. Anyway, yeah, I hope you are having a good week. It's been a historic... <laughs> I don't know if I want to use historic. Cliché, maybe a little melodramatic as well. I didn't see this coming. Did you see any of this coming? I was having nightmares about Bernie running away with this uh, primary process, having no recourse, the Democrats having no legitimate recourse to stop him uh, before the election in November, setting up the socialist and the uh, fascist, quote-unquote, as our choice here in 2020 for President of the United States. The bilateral extremism that I have talked so much about looked like it was coming to fruition. And then all of a sudden, it it appears to me that maybe somebody heard my podcasts. It could be, right? Maybe I've had an effect in the world. (laughs) I can dream, right? But apparently somebody in the Democratic Party woke the fuck up. It's like, you know what? Now, this isn't, we have got to stop this man because if we nominate Bernie Sanders, he's going to get annihilated in the fall. He's going to be so easy for Trump to run against. The socialist, the democratic socialist. How many times are we going to see who's going to be the first one to take the clip from that democratic socialist convention? Thank you, comrade. Uh, Can we please not use gender-specific language? How many times is that going to be played on loop? I haven't seen it yet. I thought about actually making the commercial myself. I could do that. I could do a hell of a radio spot. We're hearing about how he's praising Castro's Cuba or honeymooning in Russia, all this stuff. I mean, how many times are we going to see Alexandria Ocasio-Targaryen's face on a Trump ad? Are you ready for the revolution, Elon Omar? 
Marianne Williamson, did you see her this week? It's a coup. No, dumbass. It's not a coup. It's the Democratic Party. Bernie is not a uh, Democrat. And they're finally sick and tired of the insurgency. Sick and tired of having this socialist insurgency come in and try to hijack the party because, oh, well, huh, what, what else is your alternative, huh? They're sick of it. I saw an article this week saying that a lot of very high-level Democrats who want to remain nameless, anonymous, are very happy to let the party endure some temporary damage in order to get Bernie Sanders the fuck out of it. He's not a Democrat. They know it. And I think what's happened is they have seen the mistake that the Republicans made a decade ago with the Tea Party, not letting them splinter off. You know what? Take your base and go. Go have your own little party. Not doing that, watching the extremists take over the Republican Party, threatening with primaries, pushing the party so far to the right, so far into this populist malaise that it opened the door for Donald Trump and his brand of extremism. I think somebody has finally figured that the fuck out. I know a lot of them are willing to say, hey, you know what, we'll do it. We'll let these guys go. We'll let the woke flakes go and party with Bernie and the rest of the comradely bunch. We'll take the damage because if we nominate this guy, we're going to lose anyway. We may as well lose that way, lick our wounds and rebuild in control of our own party rather than letting the socialist mobs hijack it and take it to a place we do not want it to go. That nobody else outside of this 10 to 15 to 20 percent of the base wants it to go. A lot of them are willing to do that. And I think something happened. Somebody woke up. I, I, somehow, I, I want to think Barack Obama's involved in this. I, I don't know. I'm just sort of speculating here. But something happened last weekend. When Biden won South Carolina, something happened somewhere. Because all of a sudden, Mayor Pete's out of the race. I give him a lot of credit for that. And then the next day, Amy Klobuchar's out of the race. Super Tuesday comes along, and Biden romped. Joe Biden, he had no money to spend. None. He had no money to spend anywhere. He won Elizabeth Warren's home state, my former state of Massachusetts. Warren finished third. Biden, Sanders, Warren, who's on life support. As I record this now, I haven't seen any announcement that she's ready to, to drop out of the race. I did see a report that she's been negotiating with Barney about how to join forces if she should, but nothing's been decided yet. So if you're hearing this later on and she has, it's before all that happened. But Biden did really well, really, really well with black voters, obviously. Suburban white women. I've got a clip from James Carville coming up later where he talks about that, or I may have cut that. But, they, but he did really, really well. The youth vote, however... Despite, I think there was something like a 60% increase in voter turnout in either Virginia or North Carolina, whereas the percentage of the youth vote, this youth quake that Bernie's base keeps talking about, saying, oh, we're going we're gonna to mobilize, it never fucking happens. It didn't happen again. However, turnout was up, and Joe Biden kicked the snot out of Bernie in North Carolina and in Virginia. So, yeah, the turnout was there. It didn't go for Bernie. Biden won Texas. He wasn't even supposed to be competitive in Texas. He wound up winning. I mentioned he won Massachusetts. He spent $11,000 in Elizabeth Warren's home state and beat both her 
and Bernie Sanders. That's incredible. There were a number of states where he didn't spend any money. He didn't bother to campaign because he had basically written them off and either won or finished very high. Something happened. And I've mentioned a number of times on this podcast that when I've been watching the totals of the primaries, now we're still early and a lot of things can happen. I'm not predicting anything right now. But I've been watching the totals as they come in and sort of in my mind doing the math really quick. Okay, so there's Bernie and there's Elizabeth Warren. That's the woke flake wing of the the Democrats. What are the rest of them doing? What percentage are the woke flakes getting, the leftist wing, the democratic socialist wing, the insurgents in the Democratic Party, what percentage are they getting as opposed to the moderates? And it's been consistent. The moderates are outvoting the radicals in this primary. It's been that way from the start with one or two exceptions. California, the voting isn't quite done yet. Last I checked, uh, it was a couple hours ago, and it was at 93%. And this is what I've got. I decided to go through, and I, it's hard to find the, the complete comprehensive list of vote totals. That includes everybody. It only gives you the four or five people. I guess four people now are uh, one, two, three, four, five people that are still in the race. But there were there was early voting in these states. Okay, so I decided to get that and I wanted to look and see exactly where these votes were going and what the percentage was. And I was really curious about California because Bernie did win that state. He didn't win it by nearly as much as he thought or hoped he would, but he did win. So anyway, I went and looked, and I decided to total up everybody who finished at 1% or higher, which meant higher than Tulsi Gabbard, who's still in the race, who's still, who's pretty little face, and she is pretty, is still on all of the screens when you see the totals of the primaries. She finished at 0.7%. She got like 22,000 votes in the entire state uh, with 93% reporting. So I decided to, to take the totals of all of those. And then divide them up into the woke flake wing, the radical wing, and the moderate wing, the mainstream wing, the establishment wing. Oh, I'm going to use that word. I'm going to, oh, don't, I hope you don't throw up in your mouth there, woke flake. The establishment candidates, the sober candidates, the sane candidates, the ones not belching about revolution. So Bernie Sanders won. Elizabeth Warren isn't even viable as of 93% of the vote being totaled. In fact, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar are three points behind Elizabeth Warren, and they're not even in the race. If you add Tom Steyer, the guy, the other guy who dropped out after South Carolina, they're virtually tied. Three political corpses have tied Elizabeth Warren in California, as of when I looked at these numbers. So anyway, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, they totaled out about uh, 40, a little under 46%. 1.423 million votes. Joe Biden and uh, Mike Bloomberg, who finished third in California, totaled 1.216 million votes, uh, a couple of hundred thousand behind. But if you take the rest of the centrists, the early voters, the ones whose votes were wasted because they had sent in ballots before these candidates dropped out of the race, you get another 1.6 million votes added to that. 1.6 additional moderate votes were cast in California that were virtually wasted because of early voting, I presume. I don't think that 190,000 Pete Buttigieg voters went into the booth on Tuesday and wrote in Mayor Pete. I hope we're smarter than that. 
So the totals here between the woke flakes and the moderates in California, between Bernie and Warren, 1.423 million people. The centrists, when you total them all up, including the candidates who dropped out and got votes, presumably due to early voting, 1.613 million votes. The moderates beat the woke flakes in California by 190,000 votes. In California. The moderates have been outpacing the radicals throughout this primary process. And once Klobuchar and Buttigieg got out of the race, it opened things up. It gave people a candidate to coalesce around, plus Mike Bloomberg. Now, if Bloomberg were out of that race, all of those votes, the vast majority of them, would have went to Biden and he would have won California on top of that. Now, yes. Now, it's completely fair to say Bloomberg and Warren are sort of canceling each other out as drains on these two frontrunner vote totals. Fair enough. But neither Bloomberg nor Warren were viable out in California. Bloomberg finished, uh, last time I checked, again, 93%. He was uh, two points ahead of Warren in California. In liberal California, Mike Bloomberg was two points ahead of Elizabeth Warren. She is not, as James Carville uh, said on MSNBC this week, she is not long for this world. Mike Bloomberg is already out of the race. He saw the writing on the wall. He went back to New York City, dropped out, and threw all of his support. And his network, this huge, vast political network, all the data, everything, threw it to Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not only resurrected, he is back from the dead like Christ. And there is a definite, a definite backlash building against Bernie Sanders. <laughs> it's palpable. What is the message to Democrats tonight in your right. view? Obviously, Bloomberg and Warren are not long for this world. And I think what we might be starting to see, and I like some of the panel may weigh on this, is we might see Democrats starting to, to ask Sanders to, look, let's just don't drag this thing out any, any more than we have to. I mean, people want to get on to the general election. They want to get on to defeating Donald Trump. Yeah, I think Sanders showing tonight made hardly any showing with the African-Americans who are our most loyal constituency and our most exciting new constituency, and that is these educated uh, white women. Uh, he, he showed nothing. If we're going to beat Donald Trump, we, we can't be lollygagging around here for a lot longer because it seems like the party is starting to make a decision. And you're seeing these late-breaking votes are really coming in. And David Pluff and Robert Gibbs and, and other people know it in primaries, the vote can break late, and it breaks massively late. We saw that in South Carolina, and we've seen it ar- around uh, the country now. So it's going to be an interesting week coming up. I think we're going to see some real shifting political dynamics out there, Brian. I really do. Um, James, I am imagining all of Sanders' nation saying in unison, we do, in fact, want a revolution. I, I understand that you do. You just you, you don't have a majority of the Democrats that are in on your revolution. Democrats are not interested in a revolution, <laughs> interested in getting this guy out of power just as fast as they possibly can. I think you're going to start seeing some backlash here, like. Come on, man. We're speaking pretty loudly and we're speaking pretty clearly here tonight. And you can just feel it. You can you can feel it coming. And it, 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 the dynamic is going to change. We're, 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 this ball is moving fast and it's going it's to continue to move. People are not going to be very happy with him after a while. The one line in there that stuck out to me, and he put it very well, is that Democrats and most people in this damn country are not interested in your revolution. They want Trump out of office. And until the South Carolina aftermath, the Democrats had no idea who they were nor where they were going. They were on the verge of being obliterated by a fully united opposition in November while they staggered into the election 
fragmented. But as a collective group, Wokeflake's popularity has been consistently, as I've repeatedly said already, consistently lagging behind the collection of moderates because of the fragmentation on multiple candidates, uh, hogging and blocking the same pathway. Well, that's done. There's one moderate candidate left in the race. They have decided that it's Biden or bust. Comrade Bernie, he may have been barely the most popular individual to this point in a fragmented primary. 65 to 70 percent of the electorate consistently has not voted for him. They've been looking for someone else to vote for since the beginning, since Iowa. The voting trend in this primary has been running against the extremist wing of the party. Since moderates had so many damn candidates, they split that vote up more than Bernie and Lizzie the Red did. He's been preferred over Lizzie from the very start, allowing Sanders to get a small but not insignificant head start. That freaked people out because it was the classic third-party problem brought to the primary. That's what happened with Stein during the last election. It's what happened with Ralph Nader in 2000. Just enough people in that election to let the other guy win because they weren't fragmented or splintered nearly as much as your guy was. Now, there were indications of this before South Carolina uh, last month, as a matter of fact, and while Biden's campaign was still on the deathbed, NBC News put out a poll with a telling statistic in it. And while they declared Bernie the frontrunner, it also included something both ominous and amusing. In quote, also finding that while Bernie was the frontrunner, the most unpopular candidate qualities in a general election were being a socialist, being older than 75 years of age, and having a heart attack in the last year. Those were the most unpopular candidate qualities in that same poll. Hmm. Bernie Sanders' appeal has always been more about a Trumpian cult of personality than a widespread national excitement and approval of woke flake socialism. I wrote a couple of short weeks ago, which feels like 1954 at this point. Two weeks ago. Feels like another, another time, another era, another epic. But I wrote that I didn't give two shits about all the silly proclamations predicting this forthcoming kumbaya unity behind Bernie uh, once uh, the general election began against Trump. It was all shaping up in my mind like 2016, except in reverse. I wondered how many of these people who were casting votes as part of the clear, clear moderate majority would ultimately refuse to vote for an AOC, Omar, soiled socialist. Even against Trump, I know of at least one guy right here who sympathized. That same NBC News poll also showed Biden had fallen off 11 points since January. Thinking back, hmm, what happened in January? No one else was saying so. I never heard anything about it from anybody, but I strongly suspected his demise up until that point had to do with Hunter and Burisma, the impeachment process, the Ukraine, that scandal. I thought that a lot of Democrats and independents quietly suspected he was filthy as charged. This Hunter slash Burisma attack, it was always coming from the Trump campaign anyhow. They were sitting on it until the general election until this either spring or summer so they could spring it on us. That was going to be the the electoral surprise. And then impeachment came. And it seemed a few weeks ago that the one thing that impeachment may have actually, quote-unquote, accomplished was killing the Democrats' best chance to beat Trump in the winter instead of, say, June. But on the other hand, it got it out of the way. It got the scandal out of the way. People are inoculated to it now. 
as far as killing the best candidate, that was my thinking a few weeks ago. I don't think anybody could really blame me for that. It seemed the man was dead, dead and gone. I mention this now that the political earthquake has occurred that has almost immediately resituated Biden atop the front-runner pedestal to remind you of what is coming again. The Hunter and Burisma stuff, we're going to be inundated with it soon enough. It was always coming. It's coming back. I can promise you that. But what's the alternative here? You either get the, the Hunter Biden Burisma stuff, or you get the onslaught against Bernie Sanders, which would be far worse. This has always been the problem with a Bernie candidacy, with a Bernie nomination, because the political propaganda, the real political propaganda, the advertising, the online suppression and disinformation campaigns haven't even begun. It's only March. And with Bernie Sanders as the nominee or the presumptive nominee, that is incredibly easy for Trump to run with. This primary season, to me, has felt all along like our extremist Rubicon. Like this was the point where we decide what we're going to do as a country and who we're going to be and where, uh, what the future is going to hold for us. If the Democrats failed to steer this binary ship towards sanity and or Trump wins, Rather than moderate, the resistance would almost certainly follow their screeching minority and fully commit to following the last decade's Republican path, triggered by the Tea Party. We haven't gotten there yet. Nothing's been decided. But if Bernie's nominated or Trump gets reelected this fall, they are almost certainly going to go full-on batshit and embrace the Democratic Socialists' comradely and puritanical fanaticism. Then behold, the real, real rise of AOC or something hideously familiar over the next four years. If that's the case, the path to 2024 will be even more thickly paved with nothing but a choice of which naked totalitarian you choose to join or most commonly fight. Then you can just wash, rinse, and repeat until the country is unrecognizable. I had a wealth of material collected for the podcast around the time that uh, Boris Johnson sodomized the English Labor Party late last year. I never got to it. I got burnt out and all that stuff. But the oversimplified gist of it was this. If the right ever, ever tax just a few degrees to the left on economics, which they can do far easier than the left can tack to the right on social issues, they are going to obliterate our domestic woken comrades just like they did in the U.K. over the winter. And conversely, if the left would simply get it through their thick skulls that a fart-sniffing narcissistic obsession with cultural totalitarianism and identity politics is electoral cancer, if they get it through the damn skull, they'd annihilate Trump by simply offering an alternative that doesn't make vast swaths of the still white majority of this country vomit in their mouths. In short, the trend in Europe isn't happening in a global vacuum. It's threatening to come over here as well. Just like Brexit was a canary in the coal mine, so is Boris Johnson. You've got to be able to see that. And finally, it would appear that somebody in the Democratic Party did. All the indications are that on some level, rank-and-file Democrats, the ones not proselytizing on Twitter about, you know, intersectionality, the right to be born a man, be born a man, and then, you know what, I think I'll sing Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman. That way I can get a permission slip to compete against females. Woo! 
that and all forms of general blank slate fuckery. Everybody not on board with that stuff. Not on Twitter. Not out in the streets. Proselytizing with the moral certitude of inseminated propaganda. Everybody who understands that. Everyone who's not involved in that. Understand that moderation is the path forward. A full 60 to 70% throughout the primary process have not voted for Bernie the Red. They haven't. They're looking for something else. And too often, up until this point, have been splitting the vote between too many people. California should never have been competitive for moderates. It was. Believe it or not. The moderates got more votes in that election than the radical wing of the Democratic Party. That should not have happened. Not in California. You have tacked too far to the left. It's as simple uh, as that. Most primary voters so far have voted for a moderate. The most woke among the original cavalcade of Democratic candidates fell flat. Kirsten Gillibrand Booker. Kamala Harris, Beto, Beto, remember Beto, oh, flailing hands all over the place, came out and endorsed uh, Joe Biden this week. They all fell flat on their face, all of them, every single one of them. Kirsten Gillibrand was so woke, if she'd ever made it to a debate, I don't think she did, but she may as well have just come out and showed her vagina and said, vote for this. And nobody really gave it much time, nobody really gave it a lot of press or a lot of oxygen, but in the year that everyone was supposedly demanding of the Democrats a diverse candidate of color or a female or something down that line, the ones who constantly droned on and on about being a man or a woman of color, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, as a woman of color, shut up, shut up, I don't care, said most of the country. They were mysteriously dispatched into the presidential cornfield right off the bat. They didn't even make it to 2020. Mysteriously? No, I don't think so. And a couple of weeks ago, I was here listening to a discussion about how they're going to continue that theme. Fret not. Stacey Abrams has a spot as the VP almost guaranteed just to pacify the woke flake crowd. Again, the woke flake's almost obligatory token consolation prize of color. I used the word token intentionally. Stop that. It's insulting. It's insulting to her, for Christ's sakes. And then there's Squaw Lizzie Tumbling Crow of the Northeast's pandering chameleon tribe. She's on life support as well. She may be out of the race by the time I finish recording this, and thank God. Do you remember last fall? She was right near the top of everything. She was doing really well. A lot of people thought she was the presumptive nominee, and then she began flashing her supposed woke bona fides, babbling on about selecting a trans teenager and giving them veto power on her education secretary selection. Are you kidding me? What century are we in? And this was, I think, after she played the uh, imaginary sexist card on Bernie. And then, all of a sudden, she can't even she can't even get to the viability line in California. She can't even win Massachusetts for fuck's sakes. Gee, is there a common thing between Kirsten Gillibrand, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Beto, Beto, Beto O'Rourke, and uh, Elizabeth Warren's plummet from the electoral heights? <laughs> Wokeness. Pandering to the wrong base. Pandering to the tiny loudmouths over here and ignoring the moderate majority that makes up the bulk of your party. 
The one thing about Bernie Sanders that I do like is that he doesn't play the woke games. He doesn't play the identity politics games all that much. He lets other people do it for him, but he has soiled himself by surrounding himself with people like AOC, with Omar. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with Quillette. I used to love him, now I hate him. (laughs) But I still read him occasionally, uh, just in small doses. And holy shit, this is going to sound oh so familiar. This came out last week. The stuff I was talking about, about Kirsten Gillibrand and all that, I wrote that up a couple of weeks ago. Well, (laughs) well, I don't care if they got this from me. I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure they don't even know I exist. But still, I want my commissions anyway. Check this out. This is a quote from an article I found over there just a few days ago. He says, quote, In the U.S., center-left commentator Noah Smith argues that the woke Democrat candidates Beto O'Rourke, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro, even Kamala Harris, did poorly in the primary, flaming out relatively early. Relatively? Only Elizabeth Warren remains, and her performance in the polls has been lackluster. (laughs) Understatement of the week, whether wokeness is strong enough to shackle frontrunners like Bernie Sanders and therefore harm his chances with the wider electorate remains to be seen. Well... Well, let's get to AOC now. Her revolutionary wokeness won't just shackle Bernie as the year moves on. If he gets the nomination, it's going to swell Trump's numbers with independents and even moderate Democrats, I dare say. Choking him silly in the general election. The Democratic establishment know this. It's just the the Bernie bros, the Sandernistas that don't get that. Because of the echo chamber and having a lack of oxygen within it. It's not all about Bernie Sanders. It's not even all about his quote-unquote democratic socialist agenda. Though it is that as well. Listen to me, woke flakes. Even half your friends are sick and fucking tired of you and the you should act moral just like me. They're sick of that bullshit. You are the new focus on the motherfucking family. Do you understand that? That's who you've become. Everything you fought against, everything you railed against, once upon a time, you have become. You are the new religious fundamentalists, preaching to everyone how they should live and what they should think. You are the ones presuming to define for everyone what common decency is. And you're getting a collective fuck you from the rest of the country. That is Bernie's problem. He's too closely affiliated with that via people like Alexandria Ocasio-Targaryen. But what if those people don't agree with your definition of good, Daenerys? They don't get to decide. Ha! The totalitarian state hasn't quite taken effect just yet. And again, i got to bring up Elizabeth Warren. In the debate last month, talking about a global climate crisis, a panel discussion, they were going from candidate to candidate, talking about a potential global climate crisis. And she chose to make it about climate justice and how communities of color are disproportionately affected. Wait a minute. I thought this was an extinction level event. There are levels of proportionality when it comes to extinction? Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Just trying to work communities of color into a fucking sentence to get the cheap applause line, huh? It does not take a Ph.D. to figure out the answer to that one at that moment. I was done with this pandering embarrassment of a candidate forever. I would have voted for that woman in 2016. She was my favorite candidate four years ago. She didn't run. Thank God. Get outside the damn echo chamber and pay real attention to the electorate as a whole. 
Understand where they're coming from. Try. Because that electorate, outside of your echo chamber, just like the rest of the Western world, as we saw last winter with the UK, it's getting fed up with your woke ass. How about an example, huh? I'm going to give you a case in point. This one's from the UK. This is a tweet that I found from a, an English MP. It goes like this, and I'm quoting here. Unrepentant transphobes slash racists slash misogynists, etc. should be expelled from the party. The Labour Party should educate those who are ignorant rather than ideological. Uh-huh. And if they don't respond to education, they should also be expelled. I'm not going to say the woman's name. doesn't matter. A whack job, English MP. There are things that I read sometimes, and I don't even know where to begin. I am just aghast. And this is a good example of one of those. Expelled from the party. Do you mean purged? And this is one of my all-time favorite lines. Ignorant rather than ideological. You think these ideologies haven't become religions? Really? What the entire fuck? It's like Cotton Mather. Slowly parse the sentence for its full meaning and insinuation here. If you're not ideological, you are, instead, ignorant. I dare say the truth lies somewhere in exactly the opposite direction. I'd bet Che, Jim Jones, and Pat Robertson would disagree with me, but that's okay. Then she says if they don't respond to education, they should be purged too. Again, I am dumbfounded. In other historically resonant words, the shrew is literally saying that if a person cannot be re-educated, wondering if there's camps yet, they should be purged from the party. No, no purity test at all, huh? And gosh, yeah, on the glorious day that your revolution is complete, do you suppose there's any way that this standard maybe could be applied to the national collective as well, I mean, utopian unanimity, it requires and demands full compliance after all, doesn't it? I'm reminded of this line from Edward Bernays, the only difference between propaganda and education really is in the point of view. The advocacy of what we believe in is education. The advocacy of what we don't believe in is propaganda. Each of these nouns carries with it social and moral implications. Education is valuable, commendable, enlightening, instructive propaganda is insidious, dishonest, underhand, misleading. It's Edward Bernays from Crystallizing Public Opinion, another creepy and enlightening book of his. Conform or be cast out is another way to put it. I wonder, is her education propaganda? If you read Jacques Ellul, probably so. Right down the Chairman Mao line. Political education. Her fanaticism is betrayed by the line, ignorant rather than ideological. Ignorant rather than ideological. If you're not ideological, you're ignorant. Therefore, must be re-educated with a political curriculum. And unrepentant, that's another one. Ideological religions, indeed. Invasive species, indeed.
Anyhow, maybe now that there's a uh, resurgent and relatively moderate and sane candidate who's seemingly snatched momentum from the socialist, you might want to stick your heads back in the couch cushions relieved at the thought that maybe this was just a phase and everything's going to be okay. I fully understand that. I fully sympathize. I'd love to do the same thing. And yes, who I was talking about just now was an English MP. But importantly, but significantly, it's an English MP reacting to being electorally sodomized by Boris Johnson. And rather than looking in the mirror, rather than moderating, is choosing to hoist her red totalitarian banner even higher. That's the danger of this fall if Trump's reelected. They're not going to look themselves in the mirror. They're going to think that the solution to authoritarianism is more authoritarianism, more totalitarianism, I guess, in their case. Said it before, I'll say it again, Brexit was the warning signal. I'm convinced that the UK has become the canary in the colony's coal mine. Trump's reelected, and the rejection and disappointment lesion inevitably mutates and erupts into an even more uncontrollable, tribalized, puritanical boil. Clones of this historically recycled fanatical fabricant might be oozing from our resistance's groin in a year's time. Think about that. And this should scare you even worse. If Trump's re-elected, Bernie and this iteration of AOC could prove to be the George Bush to the next radicalization cycles Trump. Yeah, it can get a lot worse than this. You think the choices this year suck? Imagine 2024's menu. This has to stop. It has to start walking itself backwards. It has to start walking itself back towards sanity. I know a lot of you are readers. If you are, there's an excellent book that I mentioned before on this podcast. It's written by William Shire. He's one of the Murrow boys. He was a first-person witness to pre-war and early war Germany. He wrote The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. The book I picked up is called Berlin Diary. consists of excerpts from his personal diary that was written as the events in Europe descended into and became World War II. I mention this because the book sort of highlights a problem with the assumption that there's always a quote-unquote right and wrong side for someone to join. There's this thing that one-third hates you, one-third loves this guy, and the other third, they're sort of apathetic and they don't know what to do, right? So say you're in the middle. Say you don't like Trump, you don't like Bernie, if Bernie gets a nomination. What are you supposed to do if you're not a socialist? You're not a Trump bot. What are you supposed to do? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy in this scenario? It's not clear. A totalitarian or authoritarian? What the hell are you supposed to do? It's not always clear. In a lot of ways, Hitler was empowered, able to take power because his contemporary quote-unquote resistance was fragmented between inept and obsolete old-school Republicans you know, the ones who wanted the old uh, Weimar Republic, and the bumbling idealistic social democrats, and the rabid socialists and Bolsheviks, all striving for power in the vacuum, fragmenting themselves while he managed to consolidate power. Matter of fact, in France, the resistance to Hitler's uh, blitzkrieg invasion was sabotaged by their own citizens in France, by their own citizens who were communists and refused to fight Hitler because he was allied with Stalin. At the time, it's unreal. But back in Germany, who were the one-third? I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight here. Who were the one-third who opposed Hitler supposed to fight alongside? The Bolsheviks? The communists? The anarchists? Maybe the Social Democrats. But the Social Democrats, uh, their leadership was being thrown in concentration camps along with communists even before the Jews as Hitler ascended. Also, Would uh, communism have seemed like a better alternative 
to the average proud German in, say, 1937, who was living his life without the benefit of hindsight? Communism? To anyone not announcing their very special pronouns to the world whilst chanting comrade at their convention, does communism seem like a better alternative to Nazism even now? You know, gulags, famine, random executions taken into totality. The communist death toll was ten times higher than Hitler's concentration camp body count. And that's just in Russia. What about China? Dead is dead. And draconian totalitarians are draconian totalitarians. Doesn't matter the brand. I mean, talk about choosing the lesser of two evils. What are you supposed to do? History doesn't always repeat, you know. (laughs) It does often rhyme. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, this is where I feel trapped. And I don't think I'm alone here. I think a lot of people feel just as trapped as I do. And when I'm forced to choose between, quote-unquote, supporting Bernie and thereby elevating the finger-clapping comrades of the Democratic Socialists of America via AOC, Ilhan fucking Omar, or, on the other hand, quote-unquote, supporting Donald fucking Trump? What are you supposed to do here? What would you do if... I'm not going to ask you that. I have to ask myself, self? That's what I call myself a self. I ask self, what am I supposed to do here? (sighs) Look, the enemy is totalitarianism. I've used that quote before. The enemy is totalitarianism. It doesn't matter the brand name. It doesn't matter whose side it's coming from. Right? And given that choice, my point is this. When politics goes completely off the fanatical rails, in general, nonspecific terms, it probably doesn't matter much at all which extremist side, quote-unquote, wins. The totalitarian results are much the same. It's only the targets of the totalitarianism that vary. Cancer never knows it's cancer, and totalitarians never see themselves as despots. They're always doing the people's work with the moral certitude that goes along with it. All in the name of justice. Always in the name of justice. So with that in mind, maybe when you're given a shitty choice, maybe the individual's only sensible Choice is riding the storm out while protecting your own self-interest as best you can. Most people in Germany did. A lot of people hated the regime in Germany. They just wrote it out. Some people were in pretty good shape. They hated the regime, but you know what? They were better off than they were in the 20s, so therefore that's good. Had national pride again, which is worth something, hippies. Patriotism is worth something. It's easy for virtue signalers to stand up, point fingers 80 years later, and say, I would have done this, or I would have done that, or that, and I would have done the other fucking thing. It's like the 2A hero. It's like the Second Amendment hero claiming they'd leap to their feet like Rambo if they ever found themselves in an active shooter situation. You sure? You sure you'd do that? You ain't been battle-tested yet, have you? Now, the solution here, still sausage party hope, okay? Re-establishment of a common national identity. That has to happen. A sense of national fraternity. Instead of being at each other's throats, seeing each other as the enemy and as Hitler. That means the extremist fever has to be brought down. Moderation has to be the rule. It doesn't matter. I understand that you have socialist visions and utopian dreams. I understand that you really believe in them. Most of the country doesn't. 
It's not your country anymore, anymore than it was the Tea Partiers. It's all of ours. It's everybody's. We've got to figure out a way to cooperate. Extremism is the antithesis of that. Extremism is going to lead to more division and more extremism. It's Newton's third law of political extremism. For every, for every radicalization, there's equal and opposite radicalization until it gets to the point that the fabric of the country shreds and blood is literally being spilled. That's the only place it can go in a country this big and this divided. It has to start coming back to the center. Moderation is the only path forward. You do not have a clear majority. Neither of you have a clear majority here. The further Trump drags his extremist herd toward the edge, the more the leftists start dragging their herd toward the edge. And imagine there's a rubber band between the two of them. At some point, that rubber band is going to break, and that's the point where we start shooting each other. We have got to figure out a way to cooperate. We have got to figure out a way to bridge this divide between the extremes, between the center-left and the center-right. It's the only way. It is the only way. Fuck your idealism. Your idealism doesn't matter when people are killing each other. I'm sorry. Lots of Nazis considered themselves idealists as well. A lot of communists in both China and the old Soviet Union considered themselves idealists. Che Guevara. There's not too many people who were more idealistic than him. And his body count, it's pretty high. Your idealism means nothing. It's about collective cooperation. Being able to function as a country, being able to function as a unit, and I don't know if you've been looking around lately, it's breaking down. If you continue... The extremist trend is going to break down even further, and yeah, it can break down a lot more. And if you think Trump is the end of the radicalization on the right, you're wrong. You don't believe me? You go ahead and nominate Bernie Sanders. You go ahead and nominate and then elect Bernie Sanders. And watch what happens to that wing of that party. Look, we are at the Rubicon. I mentioned the Rubicon earlier. That's pretty much where we are. I firmly believe this. I've been trying to poke holes in all of my theories. I've been trying to kind of, you know, imagine ways that these theories and these ideas could be wrong. Where, okay, how, what am I missing? Where could I be going wrong here? I can't. I've tried. I swear to God, I've tried. I've had people try to convince me, and it's always with this religious-grade fuckery. We're going to bring the youth vote out in the fall. There's going to be a movement, and everybody's going to love social... No. First of all, you haven't brought the youth vote out in the primaries yet. You can't get the youth vote out to beat Joe Biden. Waiting on youth quakes has never worked. Young people don't get out and vote. Yeah, you got an army. you got an army that are willing to go and take selfies at Bernie Sanders rallies. They don't go to the polls. But let's pretend they do. How do you rationalize in your head that the people who are going to the Trump rallies are just going to say, Oh, I guess they were right. No, it isn't going to happen. We have got to figure out a way to embrace a real spirit of compromise again, where each herd, each side, equally, is willing to cooperate enough to sacrifice some of their puritanical beliefs in order to live peacefully. Who is actually willing to do that right now? Do you know of anyone personally? 
And you know, when you have these conversations or you listen to politicians, you never get anything real. You never get any real solutions beyond what I'm talking. Even I'm not really giving you solutions here. I'm saying what we have to do, but how do we get there? I have no idea. It's because nobody can instruct us. It has to be a mentality. It has to be a realization, a collective national realization that cooperation and compromise is the only way forward or as a nation, we die. (laughs) Sort of a collective psychosis of compromise. I don't know how to trigger that. Nobody knows how to trigger that. Compromise and cooperation in 2020 is defined as, we all need to come together and do what I say. That's what I heard from Bernie Sanders after New Hampshire. And then we're all going to come together and do what I say. No, nobody's coming together under you, Bernie. You've already got the people who are coming together under you. They're already there. The rest of the country isn't. They're going to see you as the communist agitator who's usurped authority, who's taken over. If you think it was bad under Obama, wait until they get somebody they can define as a communist in the office. He is not the answer. He has never been the answer. The answer is not down that road any more than it's down Trump Avenue. You know, why are we here? Why why are we not coming to this point? Why are we not realizing this collectively? You can point to both corporate and social media. A million reasons. Hundreds of thousands of for-profit influencers who are exploiting this divide with boutique news and information and exploiting it all the way to the bank, as well as a hundred other different reasons. But in the end, in the end, it still boils down to us. If people were not eagerly gorging themselves on righteously enraged agitation and division, our media dealers would be shooting us up with happy rainbows and kumbaya. It's market economics, man. Supply the demand. It's Media 101. It's going to be Media 102 as well. Hate Incorporated. (sighs) Tocqueville said, when great political parties begin to cool in their attachments without uh, softening their hatreds, and at last reach the point of wishing less to succeed than to prevent the success of their opponents, one should prepare for servitude. The master is near. And sometimes there are, really, No feasible solutions. But maybe there is. Yes, maybe there is. But I've decided to split this one up. (laughs) The next episode is going to be the shortest one ever. It includes a slight message of Sausage Party hope, but it also includes a very special note to my friends right here in Michigan as we approach our Tuesday, our Super Tuesday coming up next week. I want that separate, because I think if I make this an hour and ten minutes long, people ain't going to hear it. And I think they should, by God. Boom. 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 Escapingthecave.com, that's my website. Fuck Twitter, no Facebook page. There probably won't be a Facebook page either. Make sure those subscriptions are switched from any other feeds to my very special Escaping the Cave original version please make sure you like share do all that stuff you like the podcast give it to somebody it's a gift easter's coming up an early easter gift how about saint patrick's day i'm irish you know (laughs) hey thanks for clicking in we'll talk to you next time so long